map of the soul, the self. Written by Murray Stein and Diane Stanley. Photography by Emilio Nasa. Sound design by Arian Frank. Edited by Lewis Morris. Produced by Blue Salamandra. Hello, please come in, Diane. Dr. Stein, hello. I hope you didn't have a hard time finding my place. As I said, it's just down the narrow winding street from the Grossminster Church. I didn't have any trouble finding it, actually. I walked from the hotel. It's quite close to here. You know, this is kind of like a pilgrimage for me. Do you hear the bells? Now we have to walk up two flights of stairs. I hope your legs are in good shape. No problem there. I'm used to trekking in the Himalayas. Then Switzerland is going to be a piece of cake for you. Uh, please follow me. This is a very old building, dating back to Roman times in the foundations, and from the Middle Ages in the upper stories. The building is five stories high, quite high for those times. I believe the fifth story was added in the 18th century. And by the way, Goethe and Mozart visited this house in the 18th century. Really? That's amazing. I can feel the history all around us here. Here, this is my office. It's named the Gessner Zimmer. He owned the building in the 18th century, and he's the reason Goethe and Mozart came here. He was a renowned artist of his day and the founder of the Zurich newspaper, the Neue Zürcher Zeitung, which owns the building today. You can take a seat over there. Thank you. And thank you for seeing me today, Dr. Stein. You can call me Murray. I'm American, less formal than the Swiss. That's very kind of you. I'm American too. But if you don't mind, I would feel more comfortable addressing you as Dr. Stein. Now, I called you because I've had what I think is a big dream, and I would like to discuss it with you. I do believe it has a lot of meaning, not just for me personally, but who knows, maybe for you and others as well. And I've brought some paintings and drawings to show you. Yes, you told me a bit about the dream on the phone. I'm intrigued. Okay, um, how would you suggest we begin? Why don't you tell me the dream, with as much detail as you can remember? Okay, I've written it out and brought it with me. Would you like me to read it? Yes, please. And fill it in if you, uh, as you go, if you remember more details. I'm walking up the stairs in my house, and I've arrived at the fourth floor which I know is the top of my house because it's where I keep my art studio. But then I notice there's another flight of stairs continuing on up. I'm curious to decide where it leads. On the top, there's a door which I open, 
and inside there's this large empty room with a fire burning in the middle, a fire. So I'm really alarmed. I mean, a fire? That could burn down the whole house. So I go over really quickly to examine it. And you know, there's no fuel. There's no fuel at all, nothing. My mind stops. Time stops. And then I feel the presence of someone behind me. And I turn around and I see the teacher standing in the doorway. So I go over to him and I stand by him and we're both looking at the fire together. This is when I notice that there's these rays of light filling the whole room. The teacher says, this is genuine. Keep the door open. People will be coming in to see this. End of dream. Well, that certainly is what we call a big dream. <laughs> to begin, may I ask, who is the teacher? Have you seen him before? Yes, yes, the teacher's really familiar to me. You know, he's appeared in dreams throughout my life. Um, well, usually it's like in times of transition or really major events, such as meeting my husband for the first time. He really only shows up if it's important. And what type of advice or counsel does he give you? Is it specific or more general? Well, in the case of meeting my future husband, that was several decades ago, he simply said, now you are on the right path. On the right path? Is that what he said? Yes, and I know to believe him. You know, sometimes he's just a voice, and sometimes he's a man, but I always recognize him in whatever form he takes, because he's, you know, he's the one who knows. Well, that expression, on the right path, to me, that sounds like a reference to the Tao. If you follow this path, it will mean you are being true to your nature. This path will take you to your goal in life. It's a powerful message. I'm impressed. Mm, that's the feeling I had, too. And I've never regretted taking that turn in my life, that's for sure. So when the teacher said to you in this recent dream, this is genuine and keep the door open because people will be coming to see this, you had no reason to question him. Is that correct? No, I didn't have any reason to question him. I've known him over a long period of time. I trust him implicitly. This is an important dream, Diane. It's big, and it has a message for your life. But first, uh, tell me, what was the room on the fifth floor like? Can you describe it to me? Sure. Uh, it was large and spacious, and it was completely empty. But, you know, it was also quite grand. Uh, there was no furniture or paintings or anything in it that would indicate somebody was living there. And what did you feel when you saw the fire as you entered this room? Well, at first I was alarmed. I wondered if it was out of control because it could burn down the whole house, a fire. But, you know, after I investigated it and I knew there was no danger, I was, you know... I was just amazed, silent. The fire is majestic. 
indescribable. It's not dependent on anything. That's intensely moving. And is that when you saw the teacher in the doorway? Yeah, it is. I, I don't know how much time went by, um, but at some point I became aware of him and I turned around and saw him. And then what did you do? I went to the doorway and I stood with him. So we both looked at the fire together. You know, he only said a few sentences and his voice was this kind of low and definite voice. All he said was, this is genuine. Leave the door open. People would be coming to see this. And was that the end of the dream? It was the end of the dream. Uh, well, what do you think it means? Well, it's a discovery dream. You discovered another level in your psyche, a fifth floor. We could call it the fifth dimension. The central image, the self-sustaining fire, is a living symbol of the divine. Oh, um, I'm thinking about that. Dr. Stein, do you know what you mean by living symbol? I thought it was the thing itself. Why are you saying it's only a symbol? And why do you say only a symbol? Doesn't that word only trivialize the meaning of symbol? Symbols are reality, psychic reality. Without them, we would have no way of knowing what's in the darkness of the unconscious. And when they're alive, they communicate meaning, but in their own way. Oh, I see. It's like a metaphor, something similar to what it represents. No, no, absolutely not a metaphor. Metaphors are created by our conscious minds. They may be clever or enticing, but symbols emerge out of the darkness of the unconscious. They represent the unknown, even the unknowable. I see you've painted some pictures of this symbol. Um, do these paintings, do you think, catch the spirit of the dream? I think so. Well, here, for instance, look at this one. This is a drawing of the five-story house. Because the fire was discovered on the fifth floor, I wanted to create a picture of the house in its entirety. It's not literal, obviously. It's rather abstract. But it gives me an idea of the structure of my psychic house and how I came to arrive on the fifth floor. Yes, I see. But this painting adds a lot of dimension. It shows a picture of the whole house. Can you tell me how you think about the other floors? Okay, the bottom floor. You see the bottom, that's the first floor there. It, there's a line of interconnected circles and there's one singular circle on its own. So that's what I thought to do and I put a sort of hint of the sea in the unconscious. I'm imagining this is the beginning, it's like a mother, it's soft, nourishing, and in a practical sense, I guess it's a kitchen and living room. Okay, the one up from that, the second level, it's really hard and edgy. <laughs> it's like a pair of opposites, and it demands work, extroverted activity, demanding, dealing with the outer world. So literally, I guess it's like an office, you know, where you have deadlines, where you have all your computers and all your screens and your contracts, your tax returns, you know, all that kind of thing. Edgy. <laughs> um, the third level also has opposites. 
but they're more integrated and harmonious. Uh, physically, for me, this is like the bedroom. Introverted, lunar. There's some books, classical music. It's dream time. And then the fourth level, well, that's for messy creativity, you know? An art studio, it's full of colors and images and experiments, and it doesn't matter if you fail or succeed. And then the fifth floor is full of light. It's empty, it's spacious, but it's not a place for daily life. That circle on the ground floor suggests to me um, original unity. And on the second floor, there's division and opposition. On the third floor, the two again become united. The bedroom is a place of conjunctio, the two becoming one again. Then creativity emerges on the fourth level. You know, this is pure alchemy, Diane. As Maria Prophetisa says, one becomes two, two becomes three, and out of the third comes the one as the fourth. It's amazing what you have made here. And without consciously planning it, it's a beautiful symbol of a process, individuation. And then you discover the fifth, the quinta essentia. Does the fifth belong to the house? That's a good question. Well, it's under the same roof. But, you know, in my present life, I have to say each floor is used every day, but the fifth only occasionally. And what about a cellar? Does the house have one, or does it sit on a rock? Oh, the house definitely has a cellar, but I didn't include it in this painting. It would have made it way too huge. But it's very important that a five-story house have a deep foundation, isn't it? Because it could just it would just topple over otherwise. I'm curious about that basement. In general, we think of it as a storage place, like memory. And often the stuff down there is forgotten and lies around unsorted. Yeah, that's true, but I think the basement can also be frightening and even shattering. Here's just a few images of my sojourns down there at the beginning of analysis. Look at this wild cat. He jumped out of the dark and nearly bit my left hand off. A, a cat in the basement? Oh, dear. Cats don't like to be cooped up. It's claiming you, asking for release. Look at the poor, miserable instinct. The cat is your instinctual individuation potential as a woman. She looks very unhappy. Indeed. Poor, miserable cat. Oh, dear. Uh, here's another picture of a personal shadow dream. It, this is like, ooh, it's like a dark night of the soul. Isolated, alone, uh, depressed. Yeah. This shows your unconscious psychic condition. In analysis, we would say, go down there, sit with it, let it affect you. This is a stage of individuation called negredo by the alchemists. It's the beginning of a new stage of development. Well, I hope so. <laughs> Here's another painting. Now, this is more to me like a 
collective shadow. Um, it's horrifying. And, you know, right now, as I look all around me at the news and just everything that's going on, it's... And in history as well, there's this, like, horrifying collective dark shadow, and I've discovered that, too, in my basement. Well, the real problem <clears throat> is that the collective gets into you, if you let it. You become infected and suffer the collective within your own psyche. Now, this needs to be expelled from the basement. It's not you. I'm sure you must have done a, a cleanup in your personal analysis. But some things, like the collective shadow that's depicted here, can't be cleaned up out there. They need to be seen and brought into consciousness so they can be expelled. You don't want to get pulled into their magnetic field. Wow. That's a really important point, isn't it? I did have a good analyst, and he did accompany through all of this clean-up-the-basement work. Um, and then worked a long, sustained effort, a long time. And then I had this dream of the cellar. And it's really, I don't know, just see what you think of it. That's very different from the others. Can you tell me something about it? Well, there were layers, like of personal and cultural memories, family memories, that kind of thing. Uh, on the wall, you know, layer after layer after layer. And there was hidden stuff in the storage areas, as you see here. And after I, like, was stripping the wallpaper, stripping all these things away, three symbols appeared from complete blackness. So I tried to illustrate that here, and they were really vivid colors, just like this shows. Well, what you discovered are archetypal forms. We call them the basic building blocks of the psyche. Again, you can see a progression from left to right, from unity to diversity, linked, then to four as completion. And did you make any other surprising discoveries in the cellar? Yes, I did. <laughs> in the distant corner of the cellar where there are a lot of boxes and trunks, I found this large cube, and when I looked into it, there was a frozen figure of Venus. A frozen figure of Venus, really. So I drew this picture and I brought it along today. You know, I'm surprised I still had this picture. This was a while ago. It's beautiful. Aphrodite in ice. Now, this image tells me that you discovered a key archetypal image in your psyche, frozen, dormant, but still alive and eager to be released from the prison she's caught in. She's a goddess. Maybe she's your most precious value. Maybe, but she was trapped and locked away. Yes, but seeing that is a step toward freeing her. You know, in ancient times, Aphrodite was worshipped on mountaintops, in villas and temples. She's the mother of Eros, the fire that melts two into one. Now, do you see how above and below, fifth floor and basement, are so closely connected, fire in both levels, the deepest and the highest? This is the spine of your psyche, Diane, your kundalini. Kundalini, I love that. 
You know, I never really saw this connection before, though, between the cellar and the fifth floor. Wow, looking back, I seem to have sacrificed my cat and Venus in pursuit of all my spiritual goals. They were hidden away. Boy, were they in need of liberation. So when you say this is the spine of my house, Dr. Stein, I'm wondering something. Is Venus in the basement somehow more base than, you know, worldly base, you know, than the eternal fire on the fifth floor? Like one's worldly and the other's divine? Well, actually, both are divine and part of the alchemy of individuation. We tend to split and divide them and create distinctions, but in reality, they're two aspects of the same thing, transformational energy. Mm, I see. That makes sense. But one thing I don't understand, Dr. Stein, if I say I did a drawing of the cellar right now, it wouldn't look anything like any of these because I did these at the start of analysis, say, several years ago, and I'm definitely no longer that same person. Yes, but the old complexes don't ever die. They're like old soldiers. They may fade away, but sometimes they come roaring back with new energy. They are a part of the mandala of wholeness, even if only as memories now faded. So I take, I take from what you just said that even though I spend, say, most of my life on floors one through four, and I occasionally visit the fifth floor, I also need to go into the cellar regularly and keep unveiling what I discover there for my whole life? Yes, yes. To make the unconscious conscious is a lifetime's work. I think what you're saying is true, because just recently I had a kind of sojourn, let's say, down there, and I discovered this, I don't know, floating complex, I guess I'd call it, and I didn't know it existed before. So I'm depicting it in an abstract way, but I think when you look at it, you can tell that it really needs to be examined, unknotted, into the light of day. What do you think? Here it is. Well, this does look like a very interesting complex, Diane. It's musical, and it's surrounded by shadowy material that looks like waves. Throughout life, we need to bring these contents up into consciousness. They offer renewal and energy. I, I can feel that in this picture. Yeah. Um, Dr. Stein, I have a confession. Sometimes I wonder if I'm just making this whole thing up. Oh, good. Diane, Satan has appeared. Remember Jung's book, Answer to Job? Jung calls Satan God's doubting thought. You're doubting your testimony. Uh-oh. Is this a good thing? Absolutely. Satan, doubt, belongs in the heavenly court. He tests the truth of the witness. If there is a false claim in the testimony, Satan will destroy it. This is a fire that burns the fake house down to the ground. In short, the symbol has to be tested. Ooh, that's a bit alarming. Tested? Uh, what does that mean? Well, the test question is this. Is it mere fantasy? Or is it true symbol and a valid testimony to an invisible reality? It has to be validated. 
You have to test images and thoughts with our skeptical minds to see if they hold up in court. Okay, so what do you think about my dream image? Do you think it's a true symbol? Let's see. The teacher gives testimony. I trust the teacher. We won't go there. <laughs> That's fine, but you have to test him. Is his testimony true about the eternal fire? Or is he a false prophet? Okay, but how can I test him? Do what he says. See what happens. Maybe nothing happens. Ah, the doubting thought again. Good. I think you're pushing me. I hope so. Uh, what have you tried to do with the symbol so far? Well, I placed it in the center of the house because I wanted to see how it affected my life. Here's the image. Um, I did a painting of placing it in the center of the house. It's like in the heart of my whole being when I place it here. You took the fire from the fifth floor and you inserted it in the center of the house. Now as the center, it reorganizes the whole structure of the house. All the other floors now circulate around this eternal flame. Can you comment on this? How did this transformation play out in your house? I did notice important changes. For instance, instead of the fire being, you know, transcendent, way up there above everything else, it's immediate. It's like, you know, part of me is right there in the middle of everything. And um, my relationships seem to have more warmth and meaning and joy and humor. <laughs> And with the fire in the center, this is important, I think. I have my own inner compass. And also, I have a lot more creative energy and zest for life. I can also feel an increase in enthusiasm and passion. That's the fire. It's not so distant. It does seem to be a true symbol. It has effect. That's the litmus test. Or it might look like this. This is a bit different. Well, the intensity is increasing. <clears throat> and do you see that point in the center? It's the nuclear source of all the energy radiating outward. Yes, that's how I see it, too. Now, the teacher says to leave the door open for others. Have you tested this part of the message? I don't know how to test that. The fire's inside my house. So what? So I'm supposed to just let anyone walk in the front door? That seems a bit risky. Well, maybe the fire itself knows who to let in and who not to let in. I don't know. I really don't have the answer to that question, Dr. Stein. Well, you know, in the past, you know, in my physical house, we had an attic room, and people would register to attend and go up into that top room for seminars. And this doesn't seem risky because it was just for a certain time, and people came at my invitation. Do you think this is similar? No, I don't think so. Uh, this is symbolic, an imaginal house, not a material space <clears throat> like your previous one. It seems uh, letting people into your inner space is what's meant. And at the most central level, the heart. Oh, I see. Well, I'll contemplate that, Dr. Stein, letting people into my heart. Wow. <laughs> um, meanwhile... I did create a realistic depiction of the fifth room with the eternal fire. I used, you know, paint, graphics, mixed media to make it look, you know, 
literal, real. So would you like to see it? Oh, absolutely. Okay, here it is. Ah, it looks, what should I say? Hmm. I'm fascinated by the rays of light beaming out of the fire and the floorboards shine so empty, so clean, austere. And there in the center, a blazing fire. But where does one stand or sit? Please enter and take a place near the fire. I can feel the energy of the flame. Yes? What do you sense there? What I sense is the eternal. Oh, yes. Now, tell me something, Dr. Stein. How can this be translated or transferred or integrated into the other levels, into ordinary life? I mean, really, I ask you. That's a puzzle I can't answer for anyone but myself. And you? What do you do with it? How do you bring the temporal and the non-temporal together in your life? I would be most interested how you answer that puzzle for yourself. I don't think you're going to tell me, though. <laughs> so I'll tell you, to be honest, I'm not doing anything with it. I'm just trying to let it affect me. You know, I'm in awe and wonder, and sometimes I think, what does this have to do with me anyway? Well, you discovered it in your house. It's part of you now. Yes, that's true. And I'm conscious that everything, everyone, including myself, will pass away. But this fire will not. And you know, having had this sort of definite, felt experience of the timeless, in the fifth floor, it changes everything. It changes my perspective. Does it give you strength or confidence in daily life? Daily life. <laughs> in daily life, I'm really often swept up in the demands of the time and I get distracted by outer events. But seriously now, even if I don't experience the sacred fire continuously, my confidence in its reality is increasing. And that's more evidence that this is a true symbol. Its effect is increasing, not fading. But I really have a long way to go to keep the door open. And that's one of the reasons I came to see you today. I don't want to be, you know, selfish and full of self-conceit. Well, I'm sure you know that famous 10 ox-herding pictures of Zen Buddhism at the end of the process of enlightenment, the sage enters the marketplace. And what does he do there? Nothing special. He talks to a young man, and the text says that wherever he goes, the trees blossom. The eternal fire is at your center, and it comes with you into the marketplace. Wherever you go, the surrounding world will respond. You don't have to do anything special. Just be there. Hmm. Well, I do know the ox-herding pictures, and it's very interesting that you bring them up. 
because I've been pondering the transition from the ninth picture to the tenth picture for quite a while. Here's an abstract painting I did. This is one, this one's for the ninth picture. This one's really easy for me to paint. It's so familiar from decades of intense meditation practices. I call it the still depths of the self. To me, this looks like an incubation phase in the process. It's a perfectly centered picture. It represents the archetypal starting place of all that is. The dark frame around the center circle is a deep cosmic unconsciousness out of which being itself emerges as a mystery. The squaring of the circle and the encirclement of the square represent the idea of the paradox of wholeness. It's a picture of great psychological stability, but it's not the final picture. Yeah, I couldn't even conceive of how to paint the final picture. I mean, it was such a struggle, like a big koan for me. So, and also I don't know if I'll really ever in this lifetime make that transition to the 10th Oxerting picture. However, I finally painted this. I'm not sure it represents it, but here it is. Well, it's a picture of returning to the marketplace. It's bursting open. You naturally and spontaneously respond to the world around you, and the world responds to you. I think I know what you mean, Dr. Stein responding to the world around you. I guess you really have no choice. <laughs> uh, this next painting I did, you know, I thought I should really try to express feeling. My feeling of being in the presence of the eternal fire. Tell me uh, about the area around the flame, Diane, uh, around the center, the flame in the center. You see that shell, it encircles the fire. Well, that shell is really like my house, my psyche, my life. The fire itself doesn't distinguish birth and death in the same way we do, or at least in the same way I do. It has no notion of what is temporal or eternal. Contemplating this drawing for a long time made me wonder something. Is the eternal fire inside us? Or are we inside the eternal fire? So I tried to express that in this painting. And this is the last one I brought and will show you today. This is beautiful. Outside, inside, all around, everything is connected and linked. The boundaries are permeable. Synchronicity is active, manifest. The world vibrates in unison. Here there is no inside and no outside. And at death, we and the fire become one. That's really intensely moving, Dr. Stein. I'm so pleased to have met you. <laughs> this session has greatly opened the meaning of the dream. Really, from my heart, thank you for your time and your deep insights. It's been my pleasure. 
meeting with you, Diane, hearing your dreams, seeing your paintings. <laughs> you know, I have the sense that you're on the threshold of a new life, and all the rest was preparation for the full opening of the flower that you are. Now be careful as you step over the threshold, Dan. It's a bit tricky. And in your way downstairs, take a look at the medieval painting on the wall. The painting is titled Under Wasserquelle, at the water well. And it shows a deer drinking there. A deer drinking there. Thank you.